Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I love history and I love reading. So David McCullough, no surprise, is one of my favorite authors. And in a recent book he wrote, Mornings on Horseback, he tells the story of young Teddy Roosevelt. Now, Teddy's mother, Mitty, found out that Teddy was deathly afraid of their church, Madison Square Church. In fact, he was so afraid, he refused to go inside alone. Even with someone, he was terrified. So, Mitty, his mother, wanted to know what was going on. Why was he terrified? And he said it was the zeal. What do you mean the zeal, she said? He said it crouches in the dark corners of the church and is ready to jump out at me. Well, she had no idea what he was talking about, so she started probing, what is a zeal? It's probably a large animal, he said, like an alligator or a dragon. And he was very serious. In fact, he said he'd heard the minister talking about the zeal. He read about it from the Bible. So she got out her concordance and started reading all the passages that contained the word zeal. At one point, he asked her to stop. That's it, he said. That's what the pastor read. And the line is from John chapter 2, verse 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Or as a more accurate translation says, um, zeal for your house will consume me. You understand the mind of a child and how Teddy translated that into fear. Teddy was afraid of God. He was afraid of the church and some exotic creature called a zeal. Now, the zeal was an illusion. God was not. And with an explanation, Teddy's fear vanished. When I was growing up, there were a variety of preachers. An occasional preacher who loved to terrify. Some of you have had preachers like that. They never miss an opportunity to speak about an angry God, about the worthlessness of people, and the resulting judgment that would condemn us all to hell. Now, I understood later that all of that was designed to scare me into confession so that I would turn to God out of fear and avoid eternal pain. It was like a thin, bitter broth that does not sustain life. But, as they put it, it was the best I could hope for. Except, there were also those pastors, and I will tell you, the majority of them were Methodists, those preachers who talked about something rich and life-giving, the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, even at a young age, I was a kid, and even at a young age I began to see that I could live in fear of God or I could fall in love with God. There was a choice to be made. At some point, I would decide what place and what influence God would have in my life. And I don't know about you, but I was not inclined to put an angry, reactionary God first in my life. I was not drawn to that. Simply couldn't do it. Couldn't have any peace and hope if I did it. And as I learned about God revealed through Jesus Christ, I fell in love with God. And that's when I carved on my heart, for God so loved the world. It's still there. And at some point, I learned, and I'm still learning, 
why God is first in my life. Now, that's an old challenge because we will all put something first in our lives. Not everybody's going to put God first. I think that's sad, but we'll all put something first in our lives, our priority. So the Bible is full of stories about people struggling with those decisions. What are they going to serve? Who are they going to follow? What's going to be the priority of their life? What will be first? These stories are illustrative. They're so helpful. Because it's an old, old struggle. What will be first? Now this morning, I want to share with you one of those stories. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. And I want to read a portion of it with you, beginning in the 11th verse. Take care. Listen to what God is saying. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. For when you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks have multiplied, your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made waters flow for you from Flint Rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know, to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power And the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors, as he is doing today. This is one story. But if you ever try to understand the arc of God's love as revealed in Scripture, you can see clearly that God wants us to put nothing else first or it will be our undoing. Simply put, putting God first shapes everything else. And we learn that it shapes it in a wonderful, incredible, life-giving, good way. So if, and think about me as a child, you as a child, Maybe just now as an adult, but if we begin with God, if God is first in my life, then watch what happens. My relationship with my wife, my family, with you, with my neighbors, my community, even with the world is shaped by that first priority. If I'm afraid of an angry God, then chances are I'm going to be angry and bitter myself. If I've given my heart to the God of love, if God is first in my life, shaping everything else, then you know I'm more likely to reflect and to live that love. So how does that work? It's one thing to talk about it. That's that theological work that we do sometimes, but how does it practically work out? Now, like you, I've seen depictions of hierarchies of of relational importance. For instance, I've often seen a model of relational importance that looks like a pyramid. You've seen those. The top of the pyramid is where we find God. 
That's the way people put it. And everything under that often is in different orders, but it begins with God over and above everything else. But as you move down the pyramid, family, church, others, job itself are eventually added in in some, some order that's a preference of the person building the pyramid. There's a problem with this model. It is a very real problem. And it's not what Scripture teaches. Because this model implies that some relationships are farther away, farther down the pyramid from God. Perhaps less influenced by God. But our relationship with God, who is to be first in our lives, is meant to equally influence and shape every other relationship. You ever wonder why the world's struggling? In those instances where there is pain and hurt and destruction, something or someone has moved farther away from God. God is to be first. There are no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Not our politics. Not our denomination. Not our wealth. And certainly not our ego. No, all of those things, everything is to be shaped by the priority of putting God first. So how do we do this? Well, as I said, the pyramid model is rigid. It is a hierarchy that doesn't always work. So let me suggest something different. Something that I would say is much more organic. An apple pie. Now, you may not be a fan of apple pie, so you pick your own preference. I don't know, pecan, peach, key lime, peanut butter. There's all kinds of wonderful pies out there. You pick the one you like. But regardless of the ingredients, it always works the same. To make a pie, you need to begin with a crust. The crust is first, as it becomes the key to holding all the other ingredients together. Now, once you have your crust, you can begin adding in the other ingredients, which, when baked together, make that wonderful pie. Now, I'm not a baker, but I certainly understand the importance of that crust. What if we saw our lives like that pie? Or, more to the point, our relationship with God like that pie? There's a lot of ingredients that go into it. Family, job, church, friends, community, politics, interests, even ourselves. You can add a dozen or dozens of ingredients. But the question always is, what holds it all together? What shapes our lives? I believe it depends on what you begin with. And we're reminded for all of this to work, we need to begin with God. So I did a search of scriptures. I started looking. Do you know I found out if it never says begin with the Republican or Democratic parties? It's not in there. It does not say that our bank account is to be first. Neither could I find that it's who you know or what you are or what you want to be that is to be our first priority. It did not even advise me to love myself first. None of that was there. What it did say is clear. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, 
What is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, this is not the first time the Jews heard this. This teaching was as old as we are, as a species, as a created order from God. It was in the beginning. The importance of putting God first had always been there. To the Jews, as we read, after their experience in the wilderness, God said, don't forget. Don't forget who I am. I need to be first. Folks, we live in a world of change. Change is what brought me here as one of your pastors. It's what has brought dozens of pastors here since 1884. Do you know this church has been at four different locations since that time? There's been a lot of change. Society has changed. Technology has changed. Fashion has changed. There are so many things that have changed. But what has not changed is God. God has remained unchanged, ever faithful to his promises. Do you understand what a wonderful gift that is? But it does no good if God is not first in our lives. So I will tell you this. You want a firm foundation for living? Then you have to have that prime essential of faith. And I will never hesitate to remind you of this ancient truth. God is first. God must be first. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Now, there will be more changes. But let us never waver in our trust of the living God. For God never changes. His mercy does not waver. His power does not weaken. His love for us never ends. Let God be first. For scripture says, then everything will be added unto you. Let us pray. Order our priorities so that it always begins with you. And in that beginning, then, Lord, shape every other relationship. How we feel about ourselves, our family, the folks we work with, our neighbors, our community. If we let this world drive our reactions, then it's going to get worse. But if we begin with you, what a remarkable hope we have. For you are the God of love. And for that I give eternal thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus gave us the choice. What would we seek first? The kingdom of God or our own desires? the whims of this world, that decision makes all the difference, an eternal difference. If you're looking for peace, for hope, for affirmation, for joy, love, for salvation, put God first. And then go in peace and go in love. Amen.